Scripture lesson for this Palm Sunday comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Listen now for God's word to you. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many of the people spread their cloaks on the road, and other people spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have been moving to this moment now for the last couple of weeks, both narratively and liturgically within the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has told us that he is headed to Jerusalem, and now he has finally arrived. And what an arrival it was, right? That Jesus moving comes near to the Mount of Olives, just a few miles away from the city of Jerusalem, and he sends two of his disciples ahead to secure some transportation into the city. He says, go into the village ahead of you, and you'll find there a donkey, or better yet, a a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them that the master has need of it, and he'll send it back immediately following the parade. And this has always sort of struck me as sort of funny, right? That, that Jesus seems to be borrowing this donkey without prior permission. Like, he's like one of those neighbors who borrows your leaf blower or your hedge clippers <laughs> one time and then thinks they have access to it forever. Um, I remember when Heather and I were living in Missouri, behind our neighborhood, there was this small little farm that had three donkeys that lived a- on it. And, um, and the donkeys would sometimes get out and roam the neighborhood and you have to chase them back into their pen. And Um, I thought about those donkeys a lot during this time of year, this lead up to Palm Sunday. I always thought about what would happen if I tried to borrow one of those for Palm Sunday worship. I thought about sneaking into the field, and if the owner caught me, I would say, well, the master has need of it. But I imagine it wouldn't work very well for me. I imagine I would get charged with trespassing or something like that. But it works for the disciples. They bring the colt back to Jesus, and they lay their, their cloaks on it, and And Jesus hops up and they ride into Jerusalem. The crowds join him and there's these shouts of acclamations as Jesus parades into Jerusalem. But the question in my mind is, what sort of parade is this? Why does Jesus parade into Jerusalem at all? I mean, why doesn't he kind of keep a low profile? He knows the authorities are looking for him. Why this grand spectacle? What sort of parade is this? There's a, a story from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings that maybe gives us a little bit of a clue as to what sort of story this is. 
It takes place during the time of the prophet Elisha, who is the successor to the prophet Elijah. Try to keep those names straight. Um, And Elisha is overseeing a group of other prophets. He's like a prophet in charge, like the head prophet of all these other uh, prophets. And uh, he sends one of those beneath him with a flask of oil to go and to anoint Jehu, who is the commander of the military, as king of Israel. He says, go and anoint him king, and then when you're done, open the door and run. And he says that because there is still a king on the throne in Israel at the time. The current administration is still in power. And so he sends this other prophet. Like, I don't know if this was like the gopher prophet. Like, I don't know why Elisha himself didn't go. This is like the the prophet who got the coffee and the bagels all the time. Um, So he goes and he finds, it happens exactly as Elisha imagines it going, this prophet shows up at the camp of the, of the military, and he finds Jehu, and he asks for a private meeting with him. He then anoints him as king over Israel, and then he opens a door, and he runs. And then when Jehu comes out, his officers want to know what the meeting was all about. And Jehu at first resists telling them, because now he's implicated in this act of sedition. But finally, he relents, and he tells them what's happened. And his officers, upon hearing that Jehu has been anointed as king of Israel, take off their cloaks, spread them on the ground, blow the trumpet, and announce, Jehu is king. And in the subsequent chapters of the book of 2 Kings, it details how Jehu rises to power and how those who have sworn allegiance to him work to overthrow the current king, Joram, and they overthrow him with this violent plot and And Jehu institutes a lot of much-needed political and religious reforms in Israel. What kind of procession is this that Jesus is engaged in? It is a royal procession. The king has finally arrived into Jerusalem. The long-awaited-for, the long-expected king has finally shown up. The people take off their cloaks just as they did for Jehu and lay them on the ground. And just as it was during the time of Jehu... There is another king that still sits on the throne, that Caesar and the Romans are still very much in charge. Caesar controls the very land on which these people are parading on. He controls this vast territory on which the people are occupied. And Caesar is a proper king. He has a military. He has the ability to enforce his sense of rule and power. He has people who can enforce it for him. So on the other side of Jerusalem from Jesus, where this little parade, this little Palm Sunday procession is happening, on the other side of the city, we have the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, a name that will factor heavily in the week week to come. We have him parading into Jerusalem with his legion of soldiers. That they showed up every year during the time of the Passover, this time where the Jewish people are remembering God's liberation from another empire. And they, the, the, the emotions ran hot. Talk about revolution would raise above a whisper. And so Pilate and his legion would march into Jerusalem in the show of force, 60 miles from the town of Caesarea Maritima, all to remind the people of who is in charge. It's a proper military procession. You had these two parades happening in Jerusalem simultaneously, and they could not have looked any different, Right? You have Pilate mounted on his war horse, surrounded by soldiers with armor and weapons and imperial insignia. You have another parade with the ragtag masses of people and palm branches and the king riding on a donkey. You have one procession coming to, and probably in military silence and order, 
And then you have one coming, shouting Hosanna as they walk along the way. Hosanna. It's a good churchy word, isn't it? It's a good Christianese word. Hosanna. But what does it mean? Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. Which raises a question for me is, what does it mean to be saved? And I think for the, the people who are joining in this procession, that when they shouted Hosanna, they meant something pretty close to the original meaning of the word. So we find this Hosanna word, it means, it conjures up these images of divine vindication, of divine victory and liberation. Uh, we find it in places like Psalm 118, where the king processes into the city with the people and comes to the temple. That Peter Enns talks about this, that originally salvation for the ancient Israelites meant being liberated from foreign occupation, from those powers that ruled over you. And so I imagine for many, if not most, of the people who marched with Jesus that day, they were imagining this sort of procession, a procession of a, a proper king who's going to be like one of the heroes of old, like Jehu or David or like Simon Maccabees, a, a hero from the intertestamental period, who when he marched into Jerusalem, the people waved palm branches with shouts of acclamation. This Jesus being a, a national hero, the Romans were being put on notice. The king had finally arrived. That's what they imagined when they thought about being saved, was a new golden age for their kingdom being dawning right in front of them. Of course, Christian history has developed other meanings of what it means to be saved. Um, I think back to my upbringing when people would ask me, when were you saved? And that was always about that one emotionally charged moment when you welcomed Jesus into your heart. And for a lot of us, we had these really dramatic stories. For a lot of us, we had more than one story. We loved being saved. We loved going to the altar. I went to the altar multiple times to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? But let's not miss what Jesus is doing here that Jesus is parading into Jerusalem and he is sort of parodying political power, parodying the normal roles of kingship. He's sort of making a spectacle out of them. He is coming and he is announcing a different sort of kingdom, a kingdom that doesn't come with domination and power over, but it's about power with, it's about love, it's about justice, it's about grace. So I think for those who are looking for Jesus to be the one who overthrows the Romans, that they are going to find themselves sorely disappointed. For the ones who are still looking for Jehu and David and Simon Maccabees, they're not going to have those expectations met. Is it any wonder that we five days from now they'll go from saying Hosanna to crucify him? He didn't act in the way that people wanted him to act. And I think for those who are still looking for a Jesus, for a Messiah who acts with power and domination to win the day for their side, they're still going to find themselves sorely disappointed. Jesus is not that sort of king. Nor is Jesus on the other end of the spectrum simply a teacher of the inner spiritual life, simply someone who talked about life beyond this one, talked about heaven. If he was just that, then he would have been no threat to the Romans. He just would have been one of those kooky street preachers that we see still today. 
No, Jesus is a very different sort of king. And so what it means for Jesus to save, what it means for us to cry out, Hosanna today, I think means something very different. One of the things that's always fun for me on Palm Sunday is to sort of imagine who is walking with Jesus as he parades into the city of Jerusalem. Who's shouting Hosanna alongside of him? And so maybe it was some of the people that that have occurred throughout the gospel mark, some of these characters that we've met along the way. Maybe in that crowd of people shouting Hosanna alongside of Jesus, we find the one that was known as the Gerasene demoniac, the one who Jesus met on the other side, uh, that is among the Gentiles. And, And when Jesus meets him, he asks him a seemingly benign question. He says, what is your name? And his answer reveals the level and the severity of his suffering. He says, legion, for we are many. That is not his name. He is identifying his affliction. He is so afflicted that he doesn't even know his own name anymore. And remember, in this society, in this culture, names denote character and a sense of identity. He has lost all sense of himself. And when Jesus heals him, it says he was returned back to his right mind. What does it mean for this man to be saved? It means to know who he truly is, to get away from that false sense of identity and to know that he is a beloved child of God, to know that true self that dwells within him. Or maybe the hemorrhagic woman from Mark chapter 5 was walking along in this parade as well. Uh, The hemorrhagic woman who, Mark says, had been bleeding for 12 years. She had seen every doctor and specialist imaginable, and she didn't get any better. In fact, she got worse. Insurance had run out. But there she was in Capernaum that day. And it just so happened that Jesus was walking by, a crowd surrounding him, because that's how it goes with Jesus. There's always a crowd surrounding him. Jesus was following the synagogue leader Jairus to where his daughter was laying sick, close to death. And this woman, not wanting to disrupt Jesus with such an important figure that he's following, makes her way through the crowd, and she grabs onto Jesus' cloak. And in that moment, the bleeding stops. Not only does the bleeding stop, but the whole crowd around her stops. And Jesus looks around and says, who touched me? Probably a lot of people, right? But she knows she can't hide anymore, and so she owns up to it. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Well, that's how we say it in English. In Greek, what it says is, daughter, your faith has saved you. What does it mean for her to be saved? It means to find healing with what afflicts her body. It also means for her not to be an isolated individual. It means for her not to be the hemorrhagic woman anymore, but to be daughter. Certainly in that crowd, and I am convinced that they were in this crowd, was was the so-called sinners and outcasts, the tax collectors that Jesus spent his whole life sitting around the table with, the sort of people that the uptight religious crowd said, Jesus, why are you eating with those people? They're so bad for your reputation. But for them, I think salvation meant the tearing down of the boundary of being welcomed and included into being freed from toxic religion. What does it mean for them to be saved? means to be included. That is their Hosanna on this day. 
And of course, the beauty of Palm Sunday is not simply that we remember an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but that we get to participate in it every single year. That across the world today, there are people waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. I've, I assumed you all did that during All Glory, Law, and Honor. My back was to you. I, I trusted you all to be doing the procession. That we get to participate in this parade. That we still hear the Hosannas, save us, being shouted out today that we hear it from those who, who dwell in the places of guilt and shame. I think that shame is one of the most toxic things that we can experience, that, that we do things wrong, all of us do things that are wrong, but then absorbing it and saying that we're bad because of the things that we've done wrong. Brene Brown, a name that I know that many of you might recognize, who's done a lot of work around vulnerability. She, in the church she attends, she says that every time they come to the Lord's Prayer, she changes the words. Instead of saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, she says, forgive us our guilt and shame. Because she thinks that this is what most people struggle with, is this feeling, this experience of guilt and shame. Hosanna, save us. Save us from ever thinking that we are less than we are. Remind us that we are your beloved children, God. Perhaps we hear that Hosanna, save us, being sung out by, in the wake of another mass shooting by the children who attend our schools in this country. Hosanna, save us. Let us feel safe going to school. Love us more than you love your guns. Perhaps we hear the Hosanna being sung out from those who are, who are hungry or poor. Save us from having to search daily for our bread. Save us from having lack of opportunity. Perhaps we even hear the Hosanna being sung by the earth itself, that creation at this moment, Paul says, is groaning in pain. Hosanna, save us, treat us with justice and equity. As we begin this most sacred journey through this most holy week in the church year, what is your Hosanna? What does salvation mean to you today? As you make your way to the cross and to the empty tomb, what Hosanna are you crying out? What Hosanna are you singing? Today we march with the king as he arrives into Jerusalem. We shout out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. Save us in so many ways. Save us in all the ways we need you to. Amen.